Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. Well, we are still glowing after that win over Miami down in South Florida over a week ago. And over time, Yellow Jackets picked up their first ACC win under head coach Jeff Collins. Got a lot in store for you this week on From the Flats, but first things first, we're joined by the Georgia Tech Sports Network radio crew, Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford. And Sean and Andy, when, when I look at that game on Saturday, I, we talked about it uh, after the win, but it was the essence of putting the ball down. And now that some time has passed, I'm curious, in, in each of your books, wh- what goes down as the defining play of that game? There were so many. The, the Antoine Owens field goal block, Demetrius Knight strip sack, uh, Jordan Mason's heroics. Uh, what is the headline of that game? What's going to stick with you as we move forward? Well, for me, I think it's it's going to be the play that, at least to me, most embodies that put the ball down mentality. And uh, for as much as you know, the, people are going to look back and see some of the incredible highlights. The you know, Amarian Brown's incredible catch. Uh, you know, a certain fake punt that wound up being pretty spectacular and and certainly got the nation's attention. The play to me that really stands out is is Tariq Carpenter's tackle at the end there. In part because I've never seen a game end like that before. But I think it was just such a, a great play to kind of rebound after Miami had picked up a little bit of momentum, picked up a first down in overtime, and was starting to threaten to, to score to tie that game up. But the fact that, that Tech time after time remained undaunted, even when it seemed like Miami had something going and continued to play with just really uh, intense effort throughout that game and even into the overtime period, uh, that to me stood out, and that was that was sort of the, the the capstone of this whole game. But that to me is the is my lasting memory of that game. Well, since Sean stole my answer, I'm going to pivot to Jordan Mason just in general, and I think maybe his best individual carry was that second one of overtime, 22 yards. But for him to have gained 141 yards, guys, the way that he did, grinding out so many yards after first contact against a Miami defense that was in the top 10 nationally against the run. You talk about force of will and resilience, and the resilience individually from Jordan to bounce back from that fumble in the fourth quarter. I think he personified that get put the ball down mentality as well. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he showed that he is not just a good back in the ACC. He's a good back nationally that is really hard to square up, take down on first contact, and somebody who can be a workhorse for Georgia Tech. You know, you got to have some luck. You got to have some boldness when you win on the road, but you also got to have some guys who are rugged, and nobody was more rugged or reliable two Saturdays ago than Jordan. Well, and when we boarded the charter going home to Miami, I remember walking up the aisle and seeing a lot of smiling faces, a lot of excitement. Then I got to Jordan Mason, and he was stone cold asleep. I've never seen somebody look so tired. Uh, so it was it was a long afternoon for him in Miami, but for good reasons, 141 yards. And with that, we close the book on the win over the Hurricanes. Now let's look ahead to this Saturday homecoming, taking on the Pitt Panthers, 5-3. and three. And one of the numbers that jumps out at you, Pitt likes to pass the ball. And they've got Maurice French and Tazier Mack, who have combined for over 100 receptions, more than any other duo uh, in all of FBS football. Uh, what do you make of this offense uh, being so pass-heavy? Well, it's so strange because when I think of the Pitt Panthers, I think a team that's going to pound the ball, it's going to have, you know, a these big running backs who are just going to be physical with you and and get downhill after you, but that's not at all their identity this year. And it's such a contrast to what we saw last year where tech really struggled to stop the inside run uh, against the Panthers. 
but now they are they are coming out chucking it all over the yard but what's interesting to me is that they're throwing the ball a lot and they do have playmakers but it's not like they're consistently putting up these spectacular numbers it's an offense that's based a lot on sort of quantity of passes rather than really just you know tearing apart defenses with with their passing attack and when you look at the average yards per attempt which is one of those kind of maybe more nuanced statistics that, that actually I think is a little bit more revealing of how a team is succeeding in the passing game. Tech and Pitt have the same uh, yards per attempt average uh, on the season at 6.2 yards. So it's not like this is a team that's, that's really putting it over the top. Maurice French and Taysier Mack certainly playmakers in their own right. Uh, they've certainly uh, been reliable targets for Kenny Pickett. But this is an offense that's still, you know, they haven't really fully clicked on all cylinders yet. So, yes, they're passing more, but this is not the, the sort of pass-happy air raid or, or deep threat that you might expect. I'm glad you mentioned that, Sean, because we've talked at length about how Georgia Tech is overhauling its run-pass ratio. Well, Pittsburgh's undergone an even more radical change in its run-pass ratio from last year. Last season, they were 123rd in the nation in pass attempts per game. This year, they're fifth. They've gone from 123rd to fifth in the country. They're airing it out about 41 times per game. But a lot of their offense, they have a new offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple. But from a a pre-snap formation standpoint, the kind of motion and deception that they throw at defense is pre-snap. It does bear some resemblance in passing to the pit offenses of the last couple of seasons. But like you had said with that yards per attempt average, it's predicated on quick throws horizontal passes they've talked about not establishing enough of a deep threat and taking the top off of defenses with nearly as much frequency this season as they had hoped but they have two really reliable guys who are sure-handed can get yards after catch and taste mac maurice french most prolific pass catching duo in college football it's been very interesting to witness this transformation to the pit offense so georgia tech secondary they'll have to be sharp and have to make sure that they wrap up and not allow yards after the first contact, because that could really change the complexion of things defensively for the Jackets. Well, let's talk about the passing on the other side of the ball. James Graham starting to find a rhythm at quarterback, and it's going to be tough to find one on Saturday facing Pitt, whose identity, of course, is their defense, and namely uh, their sack-making ability, lead the nation in sacks. And, and Coach Pat Note in his uh, weekly press conference mentioned it, it seems like a bee's nest for uh, Pitt's defense, a lot of guys buzzing around. Why are they so good at rushing the passer? And perhaps going back to those horizontal throws, Andy, you were talking about in the pit passing game, is that a way for Georgia Tech to perhaps counter uh, Pitt's ability to get into the pocket in a hurry? You know, I think Coach Patino used the right term there. It's a bee's nest. And this is a team that's very active. They're going to get north and south into their pass lanes as quickly as possible. But I think it's the volume of really capable pass rushers that makes them so dangerous. And You know, oftentimes you'll see a team or a defense that has one guy they look at and say, that is our, our, you know, the guy who's going to put his hand down the dirt, get after the quarterback and create chaos. There are legitimately five guys in this pit defense who could fit that role. You look at a guy like Patrick Jones, seven sacks, nine tackles for loss on the season. He's lining up next to a defensive tackle in Jalen Twyman, who also has seven sacks and another eight tackles for loss who is lining up next to another defensive tackle with four and a half tackles for loss and two sacks. So, I mean, you keep going down the line. These are guys who are living in the backfield, and it's not just limited to their defensive line. When Kylan Johnson, the money linebacker, gets down uh, and, and is put in a, a blitzing situation, he can really get after the quarterback um, 
this is a, a unit that I think is is probably greater than the sum of its parts. But a lot of this also, um, in addition to the individual pass rushing ability of each of these uh, you know, defensive linemen and linebackers, a lot of it comes down to uh, this Pat Narduzzi style of coverage, which is going to do a pretty good job of keeping receivers from getting open quickly and forcing a lot of coverage sacks. And I think, guys, another reason why Pittsburgh has racked up so many sacks is they have some really good cover corners. You got Damari Mathis on one end, Dane Jackson on the other, Paris Ford is safety, might be the best of the bunch. And so they can d- dedicate more guys closer to the line of scrimmage because they have that trust in the back four. So as tough as it might be to stay out of third and, and uncomfortable situations for Tech, one of the things that might have gone overlooked in that win over Miami, the Jackets converted six of nine third downs in the second half in overtime. They were able to move the six and grind out those tough yards they needed to extend drives. We'll see if they can continue that on Saturday. If so, I think Georgia Tech fans will really like the results. And furthermore, like you said, Andy, Miami's defense, uh, a top 15 defense, able to move the ball against them. I think that'll be key uh, come Saturday, moving the ball against Pitt, against an equally or similarly talented uh, defensive unit. Well, Andy, Sean, thanks for the time, guys. Look forward to uh, Saturday, 4 o'clock, Toe Meets Leto. Be on there with our pregame coverage beginning at 2 o'clock on the Georgia Tech Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. Back in a moment on From the Flats. Great seats remain for the rest of the 2019 Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets home football schedule, including clean old-fashioned hate versus Georgia. Visit ramblinrec.com slash tickets to get yours today. We got a special guest from uh, further down Fowler Street over at McCamish Pavilion, assistant coach for the men's basketball team, Eric Reveno. And, and let's start talking about what you guys have been up to here these first couple of scrimmages, Georgia College a couple weeks back, Alabama this past Sunday. Uh, what did you see from your guys? What did you like? What needs to be worked on? Um, you know, it was it's interesting. I feel like this year our biggest improvement, our biggest thing that's going to help us uh, take the next step is our improved guard play. Um, with Jose and Mike, Jose Alvarado, Mike DeVoe, um, and then the addition of Bubba, um, you know, I really feel like we're at a high level there where we need to be in the ACC. And But Bubba was really good against Georgia College, five for five from three, and you saw what that did. Alabama was just a, a different level of intensity and athlete. And lo and behold, in the ACC, we need that. And so uh, on the positive side, you know, our, our defense, and we're doing some things a lot better, our post play, although not deep with Moses, um, uh, James and, and, and Evan Cole, we, we really like the, the, what we got returning there as well. Let, let's talk about that uh, position specifically. Obviously, over your time here at Tech, you've molded some pretty good front court players. Ben Lammers playing overseas in Spain. Uh, Abdullah Gay, uh, to be candid, exceeded a lot of expectations some may have had when he arrived on campus by the time he walked out of here. When it comes to that group specifically, let's start with James Banks. Averaged over 30 minutes a game last year. How much can you play him? Because obviously he's got a lot of talent, but got to make sure he's taking care of that load uh, from an endurance standpoint. Yeah, I think James, um, you know, has really has improved this summer. He's really in a good position. It's, and with a lot of our guys, it's just about being able to sustain the intensity that we need to play at. The number that you, that I focus on for him is his rebounding. Is he rebounding at a high level? If he rebounds, the rest of his game will come. At the high post, executing our offense, passing and whatnot, even shooting the ball from there now, he's really developed. He's got to be giving us, he's got to give us 25 great minutes. It would be good to get 30 great <laughs> minutes out of him. And we hopefully are not in a situation where we need 35 great mm-hmm. minutes or 40 great minutes out of him. Then, then you're asking a lot, and that's where Moses and Evan come in. Can they give us... 
but you know the combination the four and the five them playing both the backup five some can they give us that 15 minutes that we, good minutes where we don't drop off when James is out but I think James needs to give us a 25 great minutes I'm kind of go big picture with you as, as far as the big man goes in today's game how how is what you've asked um, from players in the post changed over the last couple of decades when you first got into college what I ask of them now is funny because it's less suited to how I played <laughs> but more fun and more <laughs> basketball and like the players to now today are much more prepared for being a complete basketball player you know um, I'll tell my age I'm 53 and back when I played you know you, you were sort of the big guys were down there it was like be a soccer goalie it was like a different workout or a punter almost you know not quite that bad but <laughs> no offense to punters but it's not football you know day but it, it's uh it, it, it's it's something where they're more skilled they're more all-around players so it's much more fun mm. but what you have to remind them is you still need to be good around the bucket. You need to get, because offense, because basketball is about balance, both team play and individual play. If your team is balanced inside and out, if you, then you're going to be effective. If you're a really good three-point shooting team, which we haven't been, we need to improve, but if you're really a good three-point shooting team, you got to get something inside so the defense can't do that. If you're really, you can't just be not be a great three-point shooting team because they'll get you inside. Same with the player. So James Banks' ability to step out and shoot the three, um, and, and to shoot from the perimeter is really important for him as a player and us as a team. Uh, and his versatility as a player, the most fun thing to coach is either one, I've always said, is he's a player who's really good at one thing, like a specialist. And you kind of tinker on how to get him that one shot that everyone knows that he's going to get. But they got to give you that inside defensive and offensive presence and effectiveness so that uh, it, it rounds out your team. James needs to be really good around the rim, shooting 70%, dunks, putbacks, running the floor, and then he can, if he does other things, then it's really effective. But it's fun coaching today's big guy, you know, who can do different things um, and move him around. You mentioned punter. I've got to ask you, Presley Harvin's touchdown pass a couple weeks ago. What did you think of that down in Miami? Man, that thing, that was, I just love the kids stepping up. And, you know, as a coach who deals with players and, uh, uh, and, and to love to see a kid step up in his moment, that's what's great about the NCAA tournament in basketball. That's what's great. But like, because these guys work so hard, and I'll tell you what, this football team, with their culture and their intensity and their work, has been fantastic to see. It's been fun to be around. It, I, it, it rubs off, and it's just that enthusiasm. And I, I was uh, this week, I was going to park my car by the athletic department, uh, and the team's walking back from their workout in the pouring rain, and you just know these guys are working, you know, and they're working really hard, and they're in the morning and they're at night, and it's just that culture of the work ethic of positivity and work, love to see. So when a kid steps up in the moment like that, has his number called, and he just it performs, it's awesome. Well, November is one of the best months of the year on campus. We've got football in full swing, men's basketball getting rocketed up. Uh, coach, thanks for the time. Yeah, my pleasure. Up next on From the Flats, we'll have women's basketball assistant coach Brandy Manning. This is From the Flats. And welcome inside the office of assistant women's basketball coach Brandy Manning. Uh, coach, thrilled to have you here. Spent a lot of time out in California, but now we've got you back here in Atlanta where you went to school at Clark Atlanta. And before we get into kind of your background, I do want to ask you, last night, uh, taking on Clayton State, big win for you guys in your exhibition. Uh, what did you see? What did you like? Uh, what needs to be improved? Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, Last night was uh, it was a test run, you know, where we wanted to to get out there and see exactly what we had. Uh, we've been practicing, you know, for the last couple of months, and you know, last night was an opportunity to finally go against 
somebody in front of our fans and um, just to give us a good feel of what we what we got or what we have. Um, last night saw a lot of you know saw a lot of good things you know um, uh, Pond Francesca Pond uh, you know had a slow start but to see her push through adversity and to bounce back in the second half and and get hot and, and get going uh, that was good. Um, Kiera Fletcher you know uh, manning the point position and really seeing her grow in that position. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think everybody got in the books minus one player. And so it was just good to see the girls, you know, get out there and, you know, play together and develop confidence, um, not only in themselves, but each other. I want to come back to the two names you mentioned specifically there. Francesca Pine, Kira Fletcher, no strangers to Tech Women's Basketball fans. They've been a big part of this program the last couple of years now. As far as getting into the leadership role for them, Pond obviously a senior, mm-hmm. Fletcher now an upperclassman, and with the new staff coming in, how important are they to setting your culture and your tone? I mean, they're huge because they've, 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 they've been around the block, so to speak, um, and transitioning uh, the younger kids, Ronnie and, and Norea, helping them as well as, you know, helping us, you know, learning the culture of the locker room and the kids that are that are returning but um, it gives us a sense of um, uh, secureness on the floor when they're on the floor um, because of their experience and it, it brings a calm to the group and the locker room so I mean that that's played a huge role in our transition here. I'm curious Francesca coming from overseas to play here at Georgia Tech here coming from uh, up north in Michigan you too traveled a long way to come play college ball in Atlanta what what attracted you to Atlanta and what do you hope to sell to incoming recruits? Well, my story is a little different. You know, I came out here um, for different reasons. You know, I came out to Atlanta because uh, I wanted to go to a HBCU, and out west where I'm from, we don't really have those. Mm-hmm. So it was an opportunity for me to come out here, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, um, but it worked out, and mm-hmm. it was a blessing, and I enjoyed my experience. Um, but with kids, you know, Atlanta is such a energetic city it's growing it's grown since i've been here back <laughs> since 1999 you know you can tell by the traffic but um it's a place where you know you have the best of everything you know you have big time sports you have great food great culture history um and it's 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 a city that it thrives in you know just entertainment and the things that you know attract not only kids but adults as well, opportunity, mm-hmm. so. Buildings have, have multiplied oh, as yeah, well. Man. And, I mean, and you can look out the window right now and, and see buildings going up left and right, but uh, it's growing, and that's a good thing mm-hmm. for it's the city of Atlanta. Kind of, and it's kind of like the front court for you guys, too, with some of, some of the size you've got down front with Lorella Kubai and Anne-Francoise Duf. And, yes. uh, what have you seen from those two specifically up front and their maturation development since you guys arrived? Um, the, the best thing for me as their position coach has been their their acceptance and allowing me to coach them. They've been extremely great at being open to coaching and, and, and working hard, doing the things that I've, I've told them to do or asked them to do. Um, but they've grown in, in, in different ways. You know, Lorella, you know, having um, another year under her belt as a junior and her role changing 
um, you know, you can tell, you know, her, you can see her confidence growing and, 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 you know, her developing and, and on, you know, who's, who's faced injury throughout the years. And, you know, now here's an opportunity for her to, one to be healthy and to, um, have a clean slate to really come in and show what she can do. And, um, for both of them, and I, I expect nothing but great things from this year. Clean slate, not only for the individual players, but as well for the team. 0-1-0, starting next week, home opener against the Houston Cougars. And uh, that's a team that dealt Tech a, a heartbreaking loss last year. But again, a new year and a chance to get them in your own building. Uh, what do you see from Houston in 2019-20? Um, I mean, I, I've known the head coach over there, uh, Ronald Huey, for some time. And I know for certain um, that he's going to have his kids ready to play. They, they play hard. They're um, extremely aggressive. Uh, they want to speed you up, and they want to generate turnovers. Uh, their defense, in some cases, is their best offense. So um, I expect for them to come in here uh, opening opening night and uh, we're opening our first game uh, ready to play. And in turn, uh, we'll be prepared. Uh, the girls are excited. You know, it's an opportunity to come back home and, and get the team. I think we lost in overtime last mm -hmm. year. Uh, to get you know to get them back on our home floor with a with a chance to uh, make things right. Sounds like a plan, yeah. well, Coach. Seven o'clock, McCamish Pavilion, Tuesday night, November fifth. I can't watch or can't wait to see you guys take the floor for the first time and get off to a good start. Hey, hey, thanks for having me once again. I'm excited and uh, go Jackets. Go Jackets. That's assistant women's basketball coach Brandy Manning, and that'll do it for this week's from the flats. Thanks for joining us, and it's gonna be a fun month in November with football and basketballs picking up. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game days for live coverage and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.